0: Hello and welcome to Sagebrush Wisdom. Today I'm talking to Greg Shaw on his meditations from the outdoors. The episode will highlight his thoughts on the romance of the base level and the practice of building blocks into the hunting space through hunting quail, the art of learning through the beginner's mind, walking the line between happiness and setting goals, finding the journey, not just the reward, and the quest for perfection. I liked having this conversation with Greg, and I know probably many of you know what I think about hunting and fishing, but in a time where many people outside of hunting and fishing are trying to define it and regulate it, I think conversations like this not only help us in our own community, but hopefully give greater understanding to the population around us to why hunting and fishing are so important. I hope you enjoy this one. All right, well, hello and welcome to Sagebrush Wisdom. Today I have uh, Greg Shaw with me, and uh, he's a co-partner and owner of Ample Creative. And uh, today we're switching it up a little bit and kind of talking a little bit more in the intellectual side of things. And I'm calling this the five meditations for the outdoors. So we have a couple thoughts that we've been talking about um, kind of offline. And I think it would be really fun to sit down and kind of work through that. Most of the things I think aren't a surprise for my listeners who know me and how i like to approach things but i like how greg thinks and uh i like what i like how he approaches the outdoors so i'm hoping that everybody can learn from him as uh i've learned from him as well so greg welcome to the podcast
1: hey thanks man appreciate you having me on
0: awesome well let's get started so we have five things that I've kind of highlighted, and uh the first one is how you enjoy hunting for valley quail. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so um my kind of hunting journey started when I was a kid with my dad with my uncle and um, one of my old mom's little coworkers shooting pheasant, shooting duck back when California had a pretty decent population you know um. And it was definitely kind of new to me. I wasn't actually raised in the space. I was sort of adjacent to it with people that I knew. My dad was sort of adjacent to it. Um, Decent, decent hunter, could kind of get it done, but definitely not part of our family lifestyle whatsoever. And kind of got introduced into that world, I guess, under people who were pretty proficient. My uncle, phenomenal duck hunter, great caller, you know, had blind for years, Uh, family friend who was same thing, insane caller, kind of did it all. And so I was sort of put in those positions to have kind of that immediate success you know with those guys who knew what they were doing Um, and then that all sort of evaporated you know it all kind of went away my dad got sick you know relationships kind of changed over time and i grew up and had other things kind of going on and so you know had that initial success um but never really had to put in much effort into learning how to achieve that success and so as i got older and i started looking for other things to kind of get more involved and more interested in, i had some of the some of the tools you know i had shotguns handed down had access to some some public lands but really had no clue where to start right like no clue where to jump back into this whole space um and you see kind of on the internet and on social media these huge successes and it's always been a bit in my mindset of being rational and reasonable at what success looks like to me and i knew that i really needed to start at the most basic level and i'm Mm -hmm. also a geek for research like i love to learn i love to try new things And so I just really dug in for a while and um, really settled on Valley quail as being like my my Everest, you know, the most Mm -hmm. common backyard bird, super accessible, um, very abundant for the most part, a lot of places. And I realized even in this super simplistic format that maybe isn't like a huge bull elk or isn't whatever it might be like this was my Everest is just learning this format and kind of getting to understand this would be sort of the building block that I could launch this this kind of career into hunting or this pastime into hunting um, and develop this passion but I knew I had to really understand this and work on mastering it before I would allow myself to level up so I've really embraced this like base level I guess with valley quail not even to talk about mountain quail and beyond that um, as sort of a model for how I approach everything from hunting to fishing to coaching youth sports or whatever it is is I knew that I had to understand that that base level before i would let myself even get excited at the next level or you know moving kind of up the ladder if that makes sense
0: one of the things that i think is so interesting with all game birds for the most part is there's not really a size orientation in every other sport whether it's fly fishing or deer hunting or any of these outdoor pursuits size starts becoming a huge there's a big emphasis on oh i caught a 30 pound yellowtail instead of a 15 pound yellowtail or i got you know a four by four deer instead of a spike or something but with quail and ducks and these birds most of the time you're like yeah you shot a mallard and there's no way to tell if that mallard is any bigger than your friend's or not, and nobody cares.
1: <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. If anything, I think people would just kind of laugh that you're even doing it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, why is he wasting his time? You know, if I can't show this this huge thing off.
0: Totally. Well, I sent this to you over email, but uh I was reading uh Jim Harrison's book. It's a nonfiction kind of mixture of poems short stories non-fiction uh adventures that he had and uh jim harrison was the author of uh legends legends of the fall mm-hmm. and uh pretty prolific writer and wrote in a lot of magazines back in the day whether it was like um even like espn or sports Afield or things like that and he had like a very romantic idea of hunting and um especially game bird hunting and so he talks about like how there's three very important parts of bird hunting but what most people think of being a good shot is the least important the second thing is having a good dog and the third and most important thing is knowing the habitat of where that bird is and uh i just think a lot of times people want to race towards the end before they get even that knowledge of the beginning when i think of like a high schooler learning how to play guitar it's like they want to learn how to play guitar so that they can be a rock star on the stage and ripping solos and all this stuff and so they want to jump straight into that before they even learn chords or how to strum correctly or how to even hold the guitar right right? to, even how to like be able to do that. Equipment
1: that have like some stage presence, you know, and be comfortable yeah. in those environments.
0: One of the things that I feel is really, I wish I could go back and change my own perspective is, you know, going along with the music analogy is all the kids that were like super obsessed with sound quality and little nuances of like this pitch and this guitar and that whatever, there's certain details and it doesn't have to just be equipment, but there's certain details when you're building yourself up to mastery that become really important later that you kind of have to spend a lot of time in the middle of, you know, yeah. you yeah. you can't just learn what a good guitar sounds like by hearing it once you have to spend years and years and years understanding what a guitar is and then finally you're like oh i found it i found the right tone yeah no absolutely so my, you know actually in that same space so my dad was a
1: professional musician for a long time you know songwriter he's got songwriting credits on a ton of albums and we always talked a lot about this and he was truly like a master like he was phenomenal at, at what he did um and even having that as like a model to follow and i still play guitar is I don't know if I could even confidently confidently say that I could restream my guitar and tune it without like a like a tuning device and just do it by ear. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's kind of like an example, I guess, for me of jumping into learning songs, learning chord progression, you know, kind of making that step without even really having spent the time on that bass level to understand necessarily what I'm doing. And I start seeing how that's held me back in my progression mm-hmm. of you know, playing music also. Um, so I think those 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 parallels between like hunting at the most basic bass level and guitar whatever else um you can draw a lot of parallels between those things because a lot of those initial steps are skipped because they are kind of mundane right or at least we like look at them as mundane and kind of boring and oh so i have this tool that can tell me when the guitar is tuned but like if the battery dies on that thing or if your cell phone stops working could you tune your own guitar doesn't matter if you can Mm -hmm. play every chord or or do every song out there or whatever could you even tune that guitar correctly and i don't think i can
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i'm not sure i could i don't know <laughs> um so you've talked a little bit about the romanticism that you enter in to hunting valley quail but do you know where for you that side of romanticism in hunting comes from like why you focus on doing something right and not just skipping ahead to the end
1: you know, I think, um, I have to think about that because I, I feel like I've never been necessarily really wooed by like comparativeness, I guess. Um, and so the idea of like that massive success, you know, like like getting that big bull elk or whatever it is, hasn't really ever been super appealing for me in really almost any facet, right, of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people are, are built that way and that's kind of what comes to mind and that's, that's fine, but that's just never really been a thing that has interested me. Um, like I've never been interested in like, coaching baseball at a super elite travel ball level or at like a, a college level um and i've always for some reason been more interested in you know the, those slow and kind of steady kind of beginner steps and so i talk about that romanticism in say something like whale hunting um because i still find for some reason so much like magic i guess in in that and i'm so mm-hmm. satisfied by that and maybe that's me not pushing myself harder whatever it might be but I still find a lot of like deep satisfaction in like the way it's, like the sun rises and the dawn breaks over the valley, or you know, grabbing a handful of lupine and crushing it up and smelling it um, and listening for those like pips and those chatters, you know, in those blackberry bush- bushes. And that hasn't got old to me yet, you know, like mm-hmm. it hasn't. I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel like I've tapped that out to where that isn't exciting for me still. Um, and uh, I think my mind is always hinged on those things like when i go when i go surf you know like i'm perfectly fine in like a hip high wave um because there's so much other stuff i guess around to kind of like find magical and find interesting that i'm not even really compelled by that bigger wave further out you know it's Mm -hmm. still super interesting to me and i'm not sure where that came from it's maybe i'm just satisfied easily you know i don't
0: know you know (laughs) so a couple years ago um i kind of learned what it was to be present you know it's obviously all over our culture like meditation be present do this do that like and i am a very anxious anxious person by fault i guess i like thinking about things i remember even one time in high school i asked my girlfriend at the time like what she was thinking about and she was like what do you mean? I'm not thinking about anything. Right. And I was like, well, we're, you know, sitting here watching a movie, whatever. In my mind, it was just it. And it always is racing to some degree. I was like, wait, you can just be present and not be thinking. And, and so that was maybe the beginning part of my understanding that I didn't have the same brain as a lot of people. Right. But a couple of years ago, I was longboarding down by my house and it was a two foot day and the sun was shining and all of a sudden I just realized that my brain was silent mm-hmm. and I was sitting there catching these no good waves and it almost felt like I was doing it for the first time all over again, yep. but I was actually good enough that I could catch waves and like, look around and be like, holy crap, like, what am I doing? You know, this is awesome. And I think it's so easy to miss those beautiful parts of these sports when we're focused on the end goal only.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, that's probably a good way for me to look at where my mind is in these things. Cause I am one of those people where, um, like, I don't have that inner monologue that people talk about. You know, like people talk about like those, those words racing their mind, they're thinking about what's next, they're calculating. And I'm not an anxious person, like at all. I don't suffer from anxiety. I don't have that monologue chattering. I don't even really like think too far down the road on most things. I'm very content in my kind of current space. And I maybe that's given me, you know, a bit of that ability to be very comfortable in those, those basic environments. Um, Cause I'm not thinking down the line. I'm not second guessing myself. I'm not wondering like, oh, should I be doing this instead? Um, so I have maybe that that mental bandwidth to, to appreciate some of those those things that kind of get skipped over at times. Um, but I don't know if that's, I, I can't tell you if that's an asset or not, because maybe that also kind of limits like that progression. You know, me being so satisfied at this kind <laughs> of basic level, um, maybe I'll never have that personal feeling or call or desire, you know, to, to progress and excel. And so I'll never know what that higher level is so i don't know i I couldn't tell you which one is better um but i do know like you talked about like when you're surfing like a small wave and you can just be there and you have this the skill set um and you put the time in to enjoy the entire experience but you're also capable of seeing everything around you and feeling everything around you um, without tuning that out with all that internal chatter is a kind of a nice place to be and i think that's probably more of what i aspire for right
0: is mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be
1: confident in that in that discipline of that practice and still aware of where i am
0: yeah yeah um we talked about this last week and uh you're talking about a japanese was it a woodworker it was that the, ma- oh it was ink ink yeah so uh you're talking last week about this guy who's perfected making ink for calligraphy and uh how much we appreciate the mastery of simple things yeah. and i think of you know cooking or i think of sometimes these like simple tools or things like ink where you've devoted your whole life to say i will make the perfect fried egg right yep, <laughs> or i will make the perfect you know calligraphy ink and How much thought it takes to do that instead of just saying, oh, we're going to come into this company, make as much as we possibly can, sell it, move on, and keep going. And it's like um, that romantic side of what we're talking about of the building blocks to get you there. And uh, in hunting, I think there are certain foundations of approaching the sport that are very cross-lateral so they like bleed into all the other sports but in general building that foundation of this all takes time is the most important thing
1: no absolutely you know we talked about that that ink kind of that that whole deal and um, it's really fascinating that you would see somebody like that who's devoted their life to like the perfection of this craft, right? And it's all they focus on and it's it's the apex for them, right? It's the, it's their Everest, right? It's, it's constant perfection. Um, and I think when you're able to strip away all that external noise and be okay with that being the goal and be satisfied with that being the goal, it opens a lot in your mind up to, I guess, appreciating not just what you're doing, but all the inputs that kind of come into it. Um, yeah, you know, we talked about that in and, and a river runs through it, right, which is everyone's seen. It's great. And that's a beautiful movie. There's so many amazing points. And I think about that scene with him and his dad. And he's writing the essay and he keeps mm-hmm. handing it back and saying decent, but half as long and bring it back to me. And the, the, the pursuit isn't for abundance, right? The pursuit isn't for this like insane thousand word, whatever it might be. The mm-hmm. pursuit is the most simplistic version of things um that still executes perfectly and i think that's very admirable and i i like that that's very like for me really compelling
0: yep there's um so i was thinking about this um yesterday but i've grown in a lot of desire to learn how to sharpen knives Mm -hmm. and uh with a whetstone and with this practice of like hand doing it and there's a ton of like tools online where like you can buy like a certain degree and you just scrape and scrape and sc- or whatever you want to call it like to sharpen the blade or you could learn how to do it by hand and get this super sharp blade through wet stones and all that stuff and i was thinking how so much of our mind is like a knife and it can be either really dull or really sharp yep and it's whether or not we want to make that knife sharp or not you know it's up to us to refine ourselves to find that sweet spot of finally like this is the perfect knife or this is the way that the knife was supposed to be not some dull kitchen knife that like can't can't cut through to through a tomato (laughs) and i
1: think that you know the interesting conversation there and this applies to, to hunting fishing surfing whatever it is 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 you can achieve the same outcome in two ways, right? Either by like dedicated, disciplined, methodical practice, right? Where you're understanding every step of the way, or there are devices that that get you there, right? Yeah. So if your goal, if your entire goal is the sharpest blade possible, right? The finest point possible, you can get those through either way. One is an accelerated path using, you know, using a tool, right? That's going to put the craziest edge on the knife, you know, known to man, or there's a path of slow and disciplined and methodical sort of self-teaching using like fundamental tools. And so I think if you frame that comparison in the way of like, what actually is the goal, right? Is the goal the sharpest knife possible or is the goal knowing all the inputs along the way? Like, is the goal for me to tune this guitar towards like audibly perfect or is the goal me knowing how to hear it and know where each string is and the tension and the type of string used and how that resonates with, you know, the age and the body of the guitar, like what's, what's the important factor. And we talked Mm -hmm. quite a bit about this in our, in our last call is like, is, is the, that big goal, is that success, you know, like, and is that success valid or valuable? And Mm -hmm. I think that's always kind of the conversation because there is a fast track for everything. Like, I know, I know like I could rent a gun and hire a guide and fly to Idaho or Montana and probably shoot a huge bull elk, Right. Mm -hmm. But like, do I deserve that? Like is that earned, and does that give me the validation that I seek in my own mind? And mm-hmm. I think for me, it doesn't. The same way, probably using that tool to like get that edge wouldn't really give me the same validation, or at least I don't think it would. I don't know. I haven't shot one yet, so who knows?
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, before we get into all of that, down down the conversation a little bit, um, you talked about how you're somebody who always wants to learn. So I yeah. came up with a question for you and would it be, and so the question is, would you rather be an expert at one thing for the rest of your life or have to learn something brand new every year and start from zero? So
1: I think, um, I think the idea of being an expert at one thing is very, very compelling and I really, really respect it, you know, and I think it's, phenomenal and i think that's something like because it's so far removed from my mindset that i would love to be because it's not what you know not what i am or what i'm built for um, but i think given the two i would absolutely choose being a beginner once a year for something and maybe leaving that thing behind only in the pursuit of starting something new um mm-hmm. i love the idea of, of doing something different and learning and kind of getting a taste of everything the world has to offer right like sampling i I really like that like sampler platter mentality of like i'm gonna try a bit of this and maybe it'll be a part of my lifestyle um but i'm gonna try a whole wide variety of things and learn the process and it doesn't lead me to whatever end goal you know some people might achieve i'm completely fine with that because i love that like intro that like again like that romance of like something being novel and unique and learning um and i really kind of compare that with I like doing things that are personally challenging at the same time you know um things that maybe push back against my comfort zone as much as possible and seeing if i can even like immerse myself in those worlds so i think i would personally choose being an absolute beginner at a huge variety of things and learning that process instead of being that singular point focused person even though i absolutely respect that guy or girl or whatever who can make that thing there's they're solid like that the guy with the ink like i respect that more than probably anybody else on this earth what, what they're doing. <laughs> uh, but i just know i could never do that i don't think i have the capacity to tune out all the opportunities around me
0: mm-hmm. you know there's something that's so interesting and we talked about this in the call but you know i feel like the world right now is kind of in like a type a personality drive or mm-hmm. like Type A people are in the driver's seat for most companies, most, you know, selling points on Instagram. The thing that's being advertised to people is being the expert at whatever it is. It's like you, you're, you know, even you can be the Instagram fit, whatever guy that this person is. If you do my program or, you know, whatever it is. And then I just think of how we're so multifaceted, you know, in normal life. It's like half the time you want to go duck hunting and then you're wrestling with this idea of like, well, if I go duck hunting today, then I can't go to my son's soccer game. And which one am I going to choose? It's like both things are important yeah. to me. You know, both things are good things but like some days you have to be somebody who i even want to use like other sports like volleyball or you know something that's like maybe not even as popular as like soccer or basketball or some of these big sports because like you can have an interest in other things than the outdoors and still be a great outdoorsman but, like, learning and expanding your worldview and expanding your horizon is so important to be human that, you know, I think taking on that idea of, like, I'm always going to be learning, mm-hmm. for me, it only helps me whenever I go into the outdoors. Um, but you talked about how you wanted to learn uh, jujitsu this year. Right, right. Yep. How, how's that going
1: well, for you? So, I think you know, kind of what you said, and we'll carry into this. Carries, you know, there's, there's, there's two points in there, right? Is um, there is this model of like, it's only celebrating like that kind of type A ultra successful, right? And that's sort of like what we're fed, kind of consistently, right? Like you're like in in terms of jujitsu, right? And I'll tell you all about how terrible I am and why I'm okay being terrible. Um, is you don't ever see someone posting online like a no stripe white belt right just like getting their ass kicked like you never see it no one's gonna put it out there right and if they do like they're gonna get mocked and tore tore up whatever uh, but you'll always see like that like you know next level black belt or purple or whatever like doing these like highly advanced techniques if you plotting um, and so we don't really even celebrate like the the foundational aspect of a lot of things like you know, you're not going to post a picture of like a couple Valley quail and have everyone like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Congratulations. That's incredible. <laughs> um, you know, it just doesn't really exist. So in our, in, in our, in our society, we really only do look at like, you know, that top tier, A tier type thing. And we always have our mind like that is the only goal that matters. You know, that's the only thing that, that has relevance or has value. Um, and so that's kind of part of that conversation is, is how are we appreciate, or I guess, how are we appreciating, not just the path um, I guess how are we appreciating the the path to get there and not just the the end goal, like just the result, and then mm-hmm. finding comfort kind of in that path. So to get to your conversation about jujitsu, because this was kind of like the newest thing, I think, for me of like sampling something that is so far out of my comfort zone, like so far out of my comfort zone. Um, it's going great in my mind, right? Because it fits into what I like and what I appreciate um no one would ever look at me doing it and saying he's doing a good job (laughs) like i'm objectively terrible right like i'm like absolutely terrible um and the thing is i think i'm okay knowing that i'm supposed to be terrible you know Mm -hmm. like i don't have and i think this carries over from like my mindset with hunting and fishing and coaching and all these other things is i'm not supposed to be good right now right like it's ridiculous for me to think that i'm supposed to be good or proficient or even know like how to hold on to a gi the right way or where to put a hand to brace myself or whatever it might be. And I'm okay with being terrible. And I don't, again, because I'm not really like an anxiety riddle person. And I haven't really ever had that part of me that feels comparative, I guess, with other people mm-hmm. that maybe makes me a little more comfortable with being bad at certain things. Yeah. Like, I appreciate that that journey um, while still molding it around kind of the other parts of my life. So it's um, it's by far the hardest thing I've ever done. Like straight up, not just hard in terms of like, physicality and the mental math that goes into it but it's hard because it's so foreign to where my comfort zone is like i've never been in combat sports before um i you know was in like one or two fights in like grade school and I weren't <laughs> in fights and so like even like touching another person in like any kind of an aggressive way is like so far out of my spectrum and so i knew i was like this thing is the newest thing for me to challenge parts of myself that haven't really been challenged before um With no goal of like ever being good or progressing, like I'm not looking at that next belt or two belts up or wondering, oh, I'll get my black belt in X number of days or whatever. Um, Because just getting through this initial hurdle of trying trying to survive and being okay knowing that I'm just trying to survive right now, again, is really, really satisfying for me. Like I'm really loving this like new world that's kind of been opened because it is so deeply foreign to me. And I really, for some reason, I think a lot of people are intimidated by the idea of something new, you know, something they know they're not going to be good at. And I always seem to race to these things that I know I'm going to suck at, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And I don't know why, just I like that, but it's just it's very appealing.
0: There's um. Last week, I went uh, with my girlfriend to one of the bars uh, up in Fullerton, and uh, there's a line dancing class that happened. And I just think of how um, it's so easy to say, no, I'm not going to do something because I feel like I'm going to be that person on the dance floor tripping over myself when everybody else knows the steps.
1: Right. And you're like, oh, they're going to look at me. Or they're going to say something or
0: totally. And yeah. like, I liked how you're kind of talking about just offline. You're like, I don't have like a lot of shame like I have zero shame if yeah. i if i want to go out and like dance and have fun like damn it i'm gonna go dance and have fun and i don't care if people are being like oh you don't have the right camo to be here or like oh you wore the wrong you know this or that it's like okay and uh you told me last week about a uh, your fly fishing adventures and how you got started in fly fishing. Yep. But uh, do you want to walk through that story yeah. really fast?
1: <laughs> yeah, cause it's kind of funny. And I think it lends into you know, the same kind of conversation. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up managing a group of uh, skate snowboard shops and was super immersed in that culture for a really long time, which is great and super fun. I think from when I was like 12 until 18-ish in that kind of range was like, you know, running these stores and really like kind of in that lifestyle. Um, and at the time, it was all I did. Right. It was all I consumed was all the media I consumed is all I thought about, you know, there wasn't really internet back then. So it was just like print magazines and friends. And it was just, it was all I did. It consumed every part of me. And there was just this one day when I was like, man, like, I kind of want something. This is probably where my mentality of how I approach things started is I just had this idea that wouldn't leave me of like, I want something that nobody else that I know is doing, you know, like at all. And if anything, I want something that's super foreign, that's super – like, I didn't grow up fishing at all. Um, something super out of the way that's going to be super challenging that no one else is going to want to do. So I was walking through the grocery store, I think with my mom, and looking at all the magazines and passing, like, Trans World and, you know, Surfer Magazine whatever. And I saw this fly fishing magazine. And I, I, it was, like, Fly Fisher or whatever. I don't know. And I remember looking at the cover, and I was like, that's the dorkiest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm going to do it you know i was like i know no one's gonna like this and so i'm gonna do it and so i like bought the magazine and dipped in and started you know kind of reading and understanding a bit about the the culture and and the technique and i really didn't even understand too that i also chose probably the most difficult way to start fishing like i didn't grow up bait fishing i didn't grow up gear fishing anything at all ocean fishing whatever went like three times but i managed to like pick off obviously the, the toughest avenue i think most people start with those basic levels and work their way up so i i guess ignorantly just jumped ahead um and I found some like old janky fiberglass Fenwick rod with like a mechanical reel and just taught myself how to cast and just worked and worked and worked. I probably spent a couple years trying to even catch the first fish with no guidance, but just other than me kind of like learning um, and really like leaned into and embraced this like self taught thing that no one else was really interested in or doing or even at, at the most, I guess, laughing at, you know, um, and just leaned into that. And saying, this is what I'm doing now, because it is so out of my comfort zone and out of my wheelhouse. And also the thing that probably my friends would like laugh at and mock the most. Um, (laughs) And I sort of, I guess, made that kind of like my lifestyle, I guess, is finding (laughs) those things. Um, It was kind of funny because, you know, years, this was probably, I think I was probably 14-ish, 15, when I kind of like started getting into it. And the internet was just becoming a thing. There was no social media. And I remember a really good buddy of mine, Adam Grace, took this picture of me. you know, fishing on this little Creek up in influence County. And I was in the full on like khaki man capris and khaki shirt and khaki hat I was like, that's what you're supposed to wear. It's what you're supposed to do. Um, and he posted on some blog and because there was so few search results, that image was actually like in the top five of Google image search results for fishing <laughs> for the longest time until it became popular and super saturated. Um, uh, but yeah, I spent a lot of time just fumbling my way through it. Same thing with surfing, spent a lot of time fumbling my way through because nobody else that I knew was doing it. And I think, yeah, that kind of became like that that mentality became sort of the footprint of what my life has turned into with all these other interests.
0: Mm-hmm. There's such a beauty, and there's this basic idea in Zen Buddhism that's like the beginner's mind. Mm-hmm. And the beginner's mind is this person who has no prior presumption of what they're about to do and i just think of like how important that is in every situation because if you go duck hunting one week and then you go the next week and you're expecting it to be the same it's not you know you're never gonna get that same wave that you just caught again it's Mm -hmm. gonna be a different swell it's gonna be a different day it's gonna be all these things and so having a presumption of this is how it works this is the formula this is the way i'm going to approach this every time ends up boxing people in to what they're doing and sometimes you have to step outside of that box and say like i actually don't know what i'm doing you know and we talked about this a little bit of but you know going fly fishing with guides i don't know when you finally were like hey like i'm getting pretty good at fly fishing maybe i should go with a guide but i haven't i was pretty self-taught too in fly yeah. fishing and i kind of laughed because i was talking to you about it and like when i started getting into fly fishing dude like youtube wasn't you couldn't wasn't- learn stuff on youtube yeah. you like 10 years ago and so i bought like this dvd on your and you like decked out, like with all these bags and super tactical or however I want to call it, it's not like army tactical, but it's just the amount, gear. the amount of gear that you have on you is ridiculous. And you had to wear a buff around your hat and like all this stuff. And so I went fly fishing for years and years and years and kind of like taught myself. Um, And thankfully I had a couple friends that were ahead of me that really helped me along the way, but fly fishing wasn't cool. And there is no like online presence of people trying to do this and be cool doing it. It was still like this nerdy sport. And so when I finally got good enough and have gone with a couple guides, it's strange because I don't necessarily need them to walk me through the basics, Mm -hmm. but I still have a lot of poorly learned habits that I'm constantly like, can you please help me with this? Because I know that you probably know where the fish are or how to catch them. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And it's almost like, let me do what I want to do first and then correct me. Because this is how I would approach it on my own, but if you can then correct that bad habit, then the sky's the limit, and right. I can learn so much. Yeah, um, you know, I,
1: I think when you're talking about like the the usefulness of a guide, and I think I was telling you before, I might actually be like the worst guide client of all time. Like guides might even hate me. I don't know. Is I found a lot of value in in guides, not from you know, like okay, where can I go throw this fly to catch. The size of a fish because like i think a lot of that for me was sort of self-taught like i kind of figured out the basics but when you talk about you know shooting ducks and you're in the blind and you're crushing them one day i'm gonna go back the next week and just assume i'm gonna crush them again because i did the previous week is i didn't really have an understanding of like pressure systems right or of weather um or of like migration patterns right like those kinds of things and those lateral over to fly fishing like i didn't really understand about you know like like pressure and how much that impacts so i'm talking like weather pressure and how much it yeah. impacts a fishery or moon phase or you know hatches at those times or flows right like I didn't even know like what CFS was for the longest time I was like oh the river's higher today means more water probably more fish I don't know you know and so I would really lean on when I started I guess utilizing guides it wasn't for me with the mentality of saying okay I'm going to use a guide cuz I'm going to go get a big fish right I'm going to get a big fish in the net cuz I haven't gotten that yet or whatever it was it was more of like hey teach me about this environment like I can cast a fly rod I can pick out the right fly most times, or at least something that's going to reasonably work. Um, you know, I can fight a fish fairly decently, but what are those other factors, right, around that are going to help continue to shape me into a more proficient angler where I can replicate whatever success I have more regularly because I understand those building blocks around, right? Like, um, Like, why is it say may and why are pmds hatching and not BWOs or whatever whatever it might be like Mm -hmm. why are those insects only coming off right now like how often do they come off um i
0: swear like uh in fly fishing if you know about water temperature or you know something like that um it was i think two years ago and my friend went with a guide one week it was literally like 10 days before we went fly fishing again And he was fishing up in Mammoth and it was like all snow, small BWO, super, super cold water. But the temperature outside was even probably only like 45 degrees, yeah. So he's fishing like size 18, paradigons and zebra midges and all this stuff. And then we went out fishing 10 days later and it was 71 degrees on the lower Owens the sun was out and i was like heck i'm using a caddis like i'm not i'm not fishing this stupid small stuff because the fish are going to know that it's heating up yep and so they're going to be looking for the bigger caddis bug that appears in spring not in winter and it was like literally like my third cast like instantly like boom fish like yep sick
1: yeah it's knowing what those inputs are in the environment that obviously i think breeds a lot of a lot of success so it's like if you had caught a ton of big fish on cats before and you go and it's like cold and dreary and cloudy and you're not catching you're gonna ask yourself like why like why is that like this bug has been successful before i've been in this exact same spot and they're not touching it um and i think about you know i take it back to to quail hunting right so the opener is this weekend right so i'm teaching my son jackson who just turned 13 he's got his Mm -hmm. first shotgun. Um, and I'm looking at the, the weekend, right? And I'm looking at, okay, we have Saturday and Sunday available, and we've got a ton of stuff on Saturday that we should be doing. You know, there's other things around the house that are on the plate, and Sunday is wide open, but I know it's also probably going to rain on Sunday. And I know from having spent time in the field what immediate rainfall does to those coveys and mm-hmm. how they move or how they don't move actually right because they don't have to seek out water as far and so they're not moving around they're not as easy to push out of the bush and stuff like that and so I'm like no saturday has to be the day like you know we can push off our responsibility on saturday because i know this weather's coming in i know what that's going to do to impact our success for the day or even seeing birds or whatever it is um and so understanding those other building blocks and really only getting that from guides or from people who've done it for a while who understand that there's more to it than just kicking a bush and shooting a bird right there's Mm -hmm. more than just throwing a bug out there and you know hooking a fish there's so many other factors and so i I think about like you know that idea of like knowing as much as i can about the environment that i'm in before i let myself move to that next step i guess yeah is really important to me
0: do you ever feel dumb walking into the jujitsu what's it called it the
1: like the studio or the school or yeah Yeah.
0: studio or school like do you ever feel i guess like what's your mental what do you think about when you're walking in somewhere being the beginner
1: so i am probably a complete weirdo that like i i don't for some reason i don't feel that anxiety and i don't feel that intimidation um i like making friends i really like enjoy it's really fun for me and so i walk in there i think everyone that i've talked to who's kind of at the same level it's like before you go you always kind of tell yourself all the reasons why you you don't want to go and whatever you're like no i'm just gonna go do it i'm gonna get in there and i walk in and i think with that confidence knowing that i'm supposed to be at where i'm at and i'm not hinging like my joy of it or my success or my value in being super proficient kind of gives me that that confidence to walk in there and be like yeah i'm here and i suck and I need you to show me like where to put my hands and and what to do. Um, But yeah, it doesn't, it hasn't, I haven't really found anything yet. There's probably a few things that might intimidate me more, but I haven't really found anything yet that intimidates me to the point where I would freeze before getting into that space Mm -hmm. based on the fear of looking dumb. It's like, I go in knowing I'm going to look dumb. And I go in knowing that like, it's okay to look dumb. Right. As long as I'm not doing something dangerous or, Putting somebody out, right? Um, and I found most people, most environments that I've been in, I find people tend to be pretty receptive to that. And I think that tends to be the common narrative in mm-hmm. almost any interest or discipline. If you go in to any of these things with the mentality of like, I'm not good, I'm going to do what I can to stay out of people's way and not inhibit them. Um, but I'm going to let them know, like, I'm brand new at this. Yeah. And, you know, if you can offer any advice, I'm all ears and I'll apply that advice. I think that's the biggest thing is applying that advice um, like when I go and I, I roll with people, like I try not to roll super hard, you know, yeah. I'm like, I'm not trying to like flex on anybody. Uh, I'm trying to learn and I guess hold that knowledge and embrace it. Cause I feel like anyone who is better at you than something who's put that time in, it's almost disrespectful to them to not take that advice and yeah. not chew on it and not try to apply it. It's like, they're taking their time to show you this. Um, why not listen to them? So I think I go into those environments with that mentality of like, it's okay for me to suck. I'm supposed to suck.
0: Yeah. That is, I think the interesting part of this idea of the beginner's mind is it sounds like such a bad thing to most of the world because we want to be experts and we want to be pro and we want to do all this stuff. And uh, then you realize that the beginner's mind is kind of a strength. It is. Because yeah. if you have, and I only understand this in like rock climbing, not jujitsu, but in rock climbing, you could be working on a problem and trying to make a climb and you could be working on it all day long or all week long or whatever. And then somebody's like, hey, move your knee like three inches to the left. And it's like on the crux of the problem. And so you do that. And then you're like, wait everything just changed like all the leverage i now have the strength to make the next reach or this or that like it is so subtle what sometimes is keeping you from success or failure and all you needed to do was to say i don't know what i'm doing yeah exactly (laughs) i'm (laughs) I'm ready to ask the question like yep help
1: (laughs) well i think there's a lot of there's a lot of confidence in embracing that beginner's mindset you know and i think that's kind of a, a beautiful thing that people look past really quickly is like being able to walk into an environment of whatever and be okay saying i'm not sure what i'm doing you know or, or i'm going to learn the basics or whatever um i think that's a very like admirable level of confidence that people gloss over and don't value i think as much as they should mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of people who don't even go in those environments because they don't have the confidence to walk in and say i'm objectively bad at this i'm going to be bad at this for a while whatever it might be right And I think that is the door that people set for themselves where they don't let them walk into these spaces because they're so afraid of what might happen, right. Or how they might look or how they might be perceived when it's very like humbling to just say, you know what, I'm not good at this and I'm working on learning, but I need help along the way.
0: Yeah. One of the quotes that I heard on modern wisdom a couple of days ago is, um, it's better to go with what you have than to not go at all. And I think a lot of people are waiting for that chance to be like, Oh, well I'll go and do this when I finally, you know, take a class or I finally get enough money or I finally X, Y, Z. And all they needed to do is just go out there and try. But I do think it's funny. I went fishing this last year on one of the sport boats and, uh, I've been pretty proud of my like offshore fishing skill, whatever. And, uh, quick, quick to learn, I'd say like super amped on it, super passionate. And still I ended up going up to one of the deckhands and was like, can you look at my knots because like, if we start catching fish. Like, I haven't done this in a year and a half, you know, or whatever, a year at this point. Can you please help me so that I know that if I catch a fish, it won't be because of my knot that I lost the fish?
1: Yeah, and imagine for a lot of people, like, that the biggest hurdle that they face in that environment is being too afraid to ask that deckhand to look at that knot, right? Mm -hmm. It's like they would rather just hope it doesn't fail, you know, and then all of a sudden you lose a fish because the knot came undone or whatever um because the biggest conflict for a lot of people is just that humbleness of saying just double check this for me you know or how do i do this the right way Um, yeah and so that's another one of those doors i think people tend to close for themselves because they are too nervous of being i don't know like like shit on in some way by someone who probably wouldn't anyway i guess you know like that deckhand's never going to look at you like no you're uh, you'll be fine. Or, or I don't have the time for you. You know, like you all benefit from that, not holding everyone does, you know? Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I feel like people's fears of having those, like approaching those questions, approaching those, those people, um, tend to be self-imposed fears. You know, they're internal. They're not external. Like Mm -hmm. I never walk into like the Jiu-Jitsu school. I've never rolled with a single person who's shut me down and said, absolutely not. They're like, always like, absolutely. Yeah. You know? And then it's reaffirmed by when I'm actually listening to them.
0: Yeah. know i I really like that picture of jujitsu and i know it has nothing to do with the outdoors on like a face value level but why a lot of people end up doing it i think is for this idea of learning you know as as much as people think like oh it's to be like a beast and it's to you know use all my leverage against somebody it's like no like we're doing it to be humbled
1: (laughs) Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. To be humbled, to learn something totally different, you know, to activate a different part of your brain that maybe you haven't like activated before, you know, like a, a calculating, more of a chess match kind of part of your brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, absolutely, you know.
0: So, um, one thing that I'm curious about, um, and this is onto the third point, but I wrote this idea of like setting a goal for happiness. Yep. But do you find when you're going out into the outdoors? that you find happiness versus like having your expectations let down, I guess.
1: Yeah. I, I know what you're saying. I think um, I think I go into a lot of things with really low expectations and I'm okay with low expect, like I'm okay going to the field on Saturday. Right. And I'm totally okay. Not shooting a single bird. Like I'm completely fine because my expectations are that, we got out there, we're in the environment, we're, you know, learning the environment, learning the space, teaching my son to shoot. Um, and if we don't put a bird in the bag, that has zero bearing on whether I'm satisfied with that day on any level. Like I could paddle out to go surf and not catch a single wave and be completely content with that experience. And I mm-hmm. feel truly kind of content with that. Um, and I've had success in certain areas, right? Whether it's like a wave I've caught that's been great or, a you know, turkey I've shot or whatever it is. Um, and it's, it's fine. Like I, I enjoy it, but I feel like my personal happiness is just being out there trying more so than whatever the end goal kind of might be. Right. So Mm -hmm. I know any time I go, I'm going to have a great time because my only barometer of success is being out there.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I heard this, uh, the other day with on the Joe Rogan podcast, but I thought it would be something to talk to you about but he's uh, talking to this guy named Michael Easter and Joe Rogan had a friend that shot a big buck, huge buck with his bow. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they come up to it and the scoring system for deer is what's called points. Like how many points does it have? And with deer 200 is like the magic number. It's like the same as catching a trout that's, 30 inches or 28 inches it's like you're not a real fisherman until you've caught a fish this big is maybe that that feeling like trophy size and so his deer was 194 on the score and like whatever went from happiness then went to maybe like frustration but definitely let down of just like ah like i missed it and I think it's so funny how we've kind of moved into a social media experience that kind of claims like you're not good until you've done X yeah. and I'm not even talking about the people who then go, you know, tuna fishing for the first time and catch a 200 plus pound tuna.
1: just by like
0: luck of the draw it's like oh like i've been fishing for 10 years and i've never caught that and then they go the first time and they just ruin the whole experience (laughs) but like how do you think about happiness in especially like a sport like fly fishing where it seems like you got involved very pure without any outside influence to then see you know a lot of popularity rise in fly fishing and the expectation of, you know, catching big Browns or, you know, going to pyramid Lake and being like, I caught a 20 plus pound cutthroat or, you know, whatever.
1: You know, I, um, I think I would, I think I'd feel some sadness if I hinged my happiness on a single, like a single success, you know, like if I had shot that deer and it didn't measure up to, to the 200 mark, um, if that was reaching like the summit of Everest for me, if that was it, then what comes after that? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's my only, I guess, like barometer of success. What are the next 30 years of my life look like? You know, cause there's probably if I say, say you shot into 200, right? Like what comes next? Like, is, is your only satisfaction being, uh, you know, 210. Right. And are you not satisfied until that happens? And I just, I, I can't, I can't embrace that. I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, it's hard for me to imagine a world for myself where I couldn't enjoy the experience without hitting some like phantom or fake benchmark that I've set for myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, like I said in the start, maybe it's going to eventually hold me back from hitting that 200, you know, mark or hitting that whatever 200 pound tuna mark. Um, But I just couldn't imagine a space where that's it. Right. Or that's the demarcation yeah. line of success.
0: I think what's so interesting, and this is just me thinking about it, but like happiness is not a goal, it's a state of a, mind. Yeah. Yep. And so a lot of people have this goal in mind, whether it's shooting a mallard or it's, you know, catching a big tuna or XYZ. And they think that that goal will then become after this moment, happiness is found. And like, I struggle with this because I am somebody that does have a lot of goals for mm-hmm. the outdoors. Um, and it's really easy to be disappointed because you're not hitting those goals. Right. Yep. But like, happiness has nothing to do with that journey of whatever goal you have. And I think that we don't really talk about that very much in the outdoor space is like you could have a great day and be so happy Mm -hmm. and be like i didn't even fire my gun yep
1: and for me that's a really like admirable place to get to because they're like in your journey like you will encounter the situation where you do achieve that right or you do catch a you know 28 inch brown trout or, or or shoot like a super insanely you know bearded turkey like those those things will happen along the way um but if that, like that, if that moment is the only marker of success, um, it just seems like a sad place to exist. You know mm-hmm. I'm Why, why even do that? Cause you most likely will achieve that. Yeah. You know, at some point in your journey, you will most likely achieve it. So if you can't find that satisfaction and that happiness in the journey, in the path, like from the start to that moment, and then beyond that moment, like kind of what's the point of it? Cause at some point, like you'll eat that deer, it'll be gone. Right. At some point you'll be tired of looking at the rack on the wall Um, at some point everyone's seen the picture and given as many likes they possibly can. And then what comes next and what does that mean for your happiness?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I don't think that there's anything wrong with pursuing that goal. It's just the simple idea of like you're saying of once you've reached that, and we kind of were talking about this before, but I always laugh when people are like, Oh, this was a fish of a lifetime and they're, 23 years old
1: right yeah like you have you have to start of your life there's like so much more ahead you know?
0: <laughs> like you have so much time to learn about the process and maybe yes that will be the biggest fish you've ever caught yep but one maybe it won't be and right. two like how much have you soured the experience of every other time you've gone because you didn't get that goal
1: right you had an expectation that you didn't meet each time
0: when you could have had these awesome experiences of like dude like 14 teal came in and decoyed on us today and that's what you're telling all your friends instead of being like ah but the stupid mallard stayed at 80 yards and we didn't get to shoot at it and like ruin my day and you know whatever
1: yeah so you're gonna like negate all this greatness because this one singular kind of goal at this one time in place wasn't achieved apparently. Um, yeah, it's it's hard for me to to justify that mentality in my mind. You know? Mm -hmm. And I think also too, like I think like I'm almost 43 now and my idea, I I I, even though I talk about not being like a goal setting person, I guess that's probably not true because I am a goal setting person. I think about goals and I write them down. I look at them. Um, I don't hinge like my happiness on achieving those goals, but they kind of give me a path to work towards. But that happiness, I've also noticed changes pretty dramatically, you know, and like what it means for me to be happy in something shifts pretty radically. And I've definitely like recently taken that shift. So I bought a a drift boat with my buddy um, and, you know, there was a time when I was like catching all the fish I can. I think this has probably been spelled out by Grinnell at some point of like the the path of, you know, an outdoorsman or whatever you're into um, where, you know, you have that initial success and then you go to that trophy mindset. And then you kind of crest that and you try to figure out what's the next stage after that. And I have very much felt myself cresting that like trophy mindset in the last like five years um, to where all I'd rather do, honestly, is just row people into fish. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I feel a lot of contentment in that. And like, so like in fly, fly fishing, probably the only thing I've done that I think I've been pretty proficient at, right? Where I put the work in, done well. I feel like most days I can go out and catch all the fish I need and feel super confident, you know, some, some better fish. For the most part um and it feels very satisfied like i feel like that that need to to catch a bunch of fish catch the bigger fish has probably been satisfied over years and so now even when i go out and catch fish it's kind of like yeah that's cool like yeah that's a salt that's 20 inch rainbow that's yeah cool whatever you know and like we kind of talked about like i'm trying even not to take pictures of them anymore and just Mm -hmm. let everything go whatever but now i'm feeling that pull of happiness of like okay now can i row somebody else into a fish You know, like, can I show them that, you know, that, that kind of entry point? Um, Like, I'm more excited, like I've shot a number of quail and it's super fun and they taste great and everything. I love them, but I'm super excited to take Jack out on Saturday and, you know, show him like what the berry brush looks like and what to listen for. And the minute that he can knock a bird down or just aim and, and fire towards a bird, you know, safely and confidently for me is like the next thing that feels happy to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's way more exciting and so it's like maybe my i guess enjoyment of like that beginner mindset i'm projecting onto the next person a bit i'm still getting a lot of satisfaction out of that
0: mm-hmm. it is a very special thing when uh somebody who is brand new to something mm-hmm. you can like expedite their process a little bit and i sometimes walk that line of i don't want to give them so much that then they don't know how hard it would be without yep. without the process because I do think, you know, we are talking about this, but if you know, you're given a gun with a pronghorn antelope, you know, 200 yards away and the guide goes, "Okay, shoot it." yeah Your happiness is going to be like, "Oh, sweet. I just got that but you'll not know what it was like to spend times, a month and a half scouting and learning and following yeah. the herd and being like okay this is like the spot and like every morning they come up around this hill and like they're grazing and the field over there whatever it's like there's this certain appreciation for like letting the people learn themselves yeah. while you're you know Hey, I wonder that bush looks kind of different, doesn't it? And you like don't say anything and then all of a sudden like a quail like jumps up yeah. out of it and it's like for them they're like whoa, like then they notice it. Then they're like, oh, like then they can take ownership in what they're looking at and I I just think that that's super cool.
1: Yeah, there is I mean I think like you said the ownership of of having earned that knowledge you know, is super, super important. I think it's a little tricky because we are at that like crux. Like I definitely half my life was lived in like a purely analog state, you know, like there was no real internet, there was no cell phone, no Instagram, no no TikTok or whatever. And so kind of like where I started was sort of forced in that analog state of where you had to go find that knowledge and kind of put the work and the time in. Um, and now we do live in a world where there is so much information. So it's all sort of gifted along the way. And I think I have to be cognizant of that, that, you know, like we're not the same starting point, you mm-hmm. know, like, like my son, Jack, he's not the same starting point I was. And it will never be the same necessarily um, because you can't access all that intel so, so quickly. Like I had to go like literally like kick bushes, right. To like figure out if you quail lived in this habitat because I couldn't Google like where do quail live? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so it's like, and so it's, it's there is a, and I guess an accelerated amount of information that's available to them. But yeah, I think that is the exciting part is when that light does go off, that they notice, hey, this is what's in their crop. This is kind of what they're feeding on. This is when the rain hit last. And they're starting to put those pieces together. That is the the earned information that I think is really valuable, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have um, a confession going back to the fly fishing world. But um, a couple of weeks ago, I went fly fishing up to the Eastern Sierras. Mm-hmm. And uh, I happened to catch one of, like the biggest brown like most beautiful brown i've ever caught yeah and uh as much as we are just talking about like oh like i'm trying not to take photos like i'm trying like i found this hole and i caught two fish within like four cast, yeah and that barely ever happened like i've never really found like a honey hole where it's just like oh here's another one. Oh, here's yep. another one it's always it's like fish for an hour you catch one you fish maybe for 20 more minutes and get another one but it's never like super steady right so i caught two rainbows and they are decent good fighters but like not anything to write home about so of course like just reached down in my net threw the fish in the back into the water and like went on my way and then this big fish finally took my fly I think it was the third fish that i caught in that run and i'm yelling at my friend who is with me like taking photos for this like trip that we're on like trying to get him to come over because he was at, at the car so he like runs over and like takes a photo of me like holding this really nice brown and like i still haven't gotten the photos yet
1: yeah You're like
0: hungry for it, right? Oh, dude, I'm so, I'm like antsy. Every day I'm like, oh, and I'm like trying to tell myself like, it's not, you know, I keep trying to tell myself all I want the photo is to like show my dad. All I want the photo is like text a couple friends. And then like, I know the second I get that photo, I'm putting it on Instagram being like, what's up, everybody like caught this big." Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's
1: a hard spot to be in, man, because, like, you know, you wonder, like, that that dopamine hit comes in, in one of two ways, right? It's it's in the moment catching that fish, right? Or is it a day later posting that fish and getting kind of all all the applause? Um, and we are definitely conditioned right now really hardly for that ladder, you mm-hmm. know? Like, that's sort of what we look forward to more than the experience. It's almost like the experience is just a step along the way to the goal of, like, Putting it out there for people to kind of fanfare over, and I'm definitely like absolutely as guilty as anybody else. Like it's it's still hard for me, like when I catch a good fish or do whatever, to not put it out there and hope for that celebration and hope yep. for applause. Um, and that's definitely been a huge battle. Again, like coming from that analog state into this like digital space, um, I can only imagine how hard it is on like young people now, where that is their only like as like like spot of validation for the experience.
2: Mm-hmm. right? It's
1: like how many likes or how many comments or, or, you know, even the comments are like, Oh, where was that? And you're like, oh, I'm not going to tell you, you know, like that's all yeah. just dopamine. That's all that is. Is that just like, you know, dopamine hit, I'm important. Look at me. I did this. I'm not going to tell you. Cause I'm, you know, the guru or whatever. Um, and those things pump out so much dopamine in people's mind for that short lived burst. I think it is a very weird balance to try to let that go. And not just, I think, not just be mindful of like, I'm not going to do this, but not even feel the craving to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? And mm-hmm. that I think
1: is a huge battle. Yeah. You know, a huge, huge
0: battle. I've been looking a lot into dopamine over the, like the last two months mm-hmm. and uh, not really in the sense of happiness um, and seeking out like, oh, when did I feel like happy? When did I feel sad? But noticing how much I'll start craving it Between the periods of when that last good thing happened to when the next good thing is about to happen and how much it kind of builds up in your body to be like, oh, man, like, I just don't feel like I'm worth anything today. And, like, you realize, like, maybe it's because, like, you haven't posted anything on Instagram in a couple days and nobody really knows how important or unimportant you are <laughs> right have you heard much
1: about the whole concept of like like dopamine detox right uh-uh. I mean, it's, it's definitely becoming like a more prevalent conversation about like detoxing yourself from like the constant pumping of that into your system um and just sort of like depleting it so you have like a baseline because i feel like you know we we work off like a high level of cheap dopamine and i'm obviously not a scientist on any level but that seems to be like an odd manufactured baseline that we sort of all exist in these days and i always hear these conversations about stripping that back right like a whole like dopamine detox in essence um so when you do feel it you feel like the full weight or capacity of it you know and i always wonder what what that would feel like if you're able to strip away all this external manufactured kind of stuff like would it feel different you know like mm-hmm. if you didn't post a fish or if you deleted your instagram right Yep. if you deleted instagram And a few months later, you have no Instagram, no social, nothing, whatever. You caught the sickest fish you've ever caught. Like, would that feel different? Mm -hmm. Like, in that moment, I feel like I want to say it would.
0: Yeah. There's this, like, in the quest for happiness, right? Like, most people think it's an immediate feeling Mm -hmm. and it's something that they want to feel every day. Yep. But I feel like, Most of the time, happiness is actually found years and years and years later. And so, some of those things that happen to you that maybe aren't, I don't know exactly what you mean by cheap dopamine yet, but I'm going to ask you in a second, versus long term, maybe serotonin or that overall like accomplishment of like, but you know, you could go from catching you know what you thought was like the best wave of your life and being like so jazzed and like smiling back in the lineup being like bro like you would not believe what just happened yeah yeah and you think that that's happiness but really like a year later or three years later you remember the wave a tiny bit but you remember that like beautiful evening with like no wind and like just your friends out and like all these other little things. And you're like, wait, that was actually the happiness side of it. It wasn't that I caught this magnificent wave or, you know, that I caught the biggest fish that day or whatever. It's like the adventure that captures you. And I think, I, I do think I crave that adventure a lot just to be quiet and somewhere like uninterrupted for you know multiple hours and yeah. i think that's why i like duck hunting so much is because i'm not looking at my phone i'm like always looking in the sky waiting for something to happen but i'm not like there's not really a way that you can make look, make duck hunting look cool like right. you can try but you're just not really gonna actually succeed in it yeah yeah and so there's like a lower desire for me to perform in it and more of that experience of just being there, you know, Mm -hmm. and letting the hours just pass you by. But, um, what do you mean by cheap dopamine versus maybe like natural dopamine?
1: So I, you know, I said, this is poorly formed because I just saw Pants for a living. I'm not a scientist or whatever, um, but you know, I, I think an important word to put into the mix here is satisfaction, right? Mm-hmm. Because happiness and satisfaction, I don't think they're the same thing, and I don't think they really collide as much as people think they do. And I think they're kind of independent, right, in a way. Um, and so I think about like like cheap dopamine. I think about you know a picture to Instagram that people are applauding, and you kind of get that wave of like value, you know, like oh, like people think this is cool. My ego swells or whatever you know it might be. But that's short-lived. You know, like, Renella kind of talks about, you know, like, like riding that roller coaster at a, at a theme park. And you get that, like, hit a dopamine kind of quick. But you look back 30 years, you don't even remember that that roller coaster. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it doesn't you know, register in your brain. Because I don't necessarily think that those things bring actual satisfaction. They might bring happiness sort of in that moment. Um, and I think about, actually, i was telling you the story about the first turkey ever shot. Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, you know, I've spent a bunch of days in the field, knocked down some birds and everything. But I remember... I was out quail hunting with a buddy of mine actually my partner with with ample and we saw you know it was fall whatever and saw these jakes kind of run across the trail i'm like okay i'm gonna go scurry up this hillside and, and see if i can knock one and i had all this like fantasy in my mind about like what turkey hunting was all mm-hmm. this romanticism i had like framed it out and pictured it out of like i'm gonna sit here do this i'm gonna call a certain way and so i was kind of getting ready for that experience and i'm like behind this this oak and this group kind of walks up and i realized in that moment i'm like this isn't the the picture I had painted. This bird is dumb and it's walking right towards me like it wants to get shot, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it wasn't like tactical and I wasn't immersed in the environment. I wasn't like doing the things that I thought I needed to do to achieve this goal. And so I'm like, I guess I'm just going to shoot it. And it like walked <laughs> up to me and just stood still and looked at me. And so I just shot it. And I ended up <laughs> shooting it in the ass, you know? And like, like, I didn't kill it and I had to go finish it off. And it wasn't like, Pretty and it wasn't romantic and it wasn't like what I had. I think that's a good, like, for that expectation. I didn't meet the expectation. So, like, I, I shot this bird and I had a bird in the bag. And in the moment, like, I felt that dopamine rush, like, oh, I did it. I was successful. But after a few years down the road, I look back and I'm like, that wasn't success at all, you know? And I wasn't satisfied with that experience. Mm-hmm. You know, even in that moment, when I felt like I'd been successful because I'd achieved this goal of like taking my first turkey. Um, I didn't at all feel like I earned it. And so it didn't translate for me into satisfaction or success. Yeah. And so when I think about like that, that cheap dopamine, you know, whether you stumble on it, whether you, you know, go out and try to try gather it from somewhere like on, on social or whatever it might be, at least for me, those things haven't really, I guess, lingered and felt like satisfaction, satisfaction or success.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if that, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I, I think a lot of the time, the very end photo of, you know, a successful hunt is measured as success. And we live in a world that we just simply can't take in that much information and we can't know the highs and the lows of a right. hunt. Like, we barely ever read, like, the full comment of, like, oh, this is how it went down and this is what happened and didn't happen but we still self-prescribe the inner story that we think happened yep. on that hunt to be like oh man like they're sitting in the forest and they bugled for the elk and it came running into 18 yards and stood broadside so perfectly and then they let their arrow go and knocked down this six by six and in reality you know, who knows what happened. Like it just wasn't pretty oftentimes. (laughs) Right. It
1: rarely (laughs) ever is, man. Like (laughs) it's like the biggest fish I catch is when I'm like done with the drift. I'm not paying attention. I'm like talking to somebody or filling with my vest, whatever all of a sudden I'm like, oh shit, that fish is right there, you know? Yeah. like, Like I didn't try for that. You know, like it wasn't my intention. It's there, you know? It's like I fully expect one day to like be out deer hunting, you know, like whatever, and be walking and just stumble across a good deer. Not because I yeah was tracking it or understood the terrain or the migration pattern at some point those worlds will intersect you know if i put enough enough time mm-hmm. out there and i will have that opportunity but is that a satisfying opportunity
0: yeah yeah and for
1: me not really you know regardless of what the picture is at the end
0: totally yeah i wonder so i've been thinking about this quote for a little while and i don't know even if the quote was used out of context but cam haynes you know prolific elk hunting yep. you know archery guy um quoted uh scarface a couple months ago on his podcast and was like you know one of my favorite quotes is from scarface and he says every dog has its day yep and i took this line and i was like dude that is so badass it is so like What I needed to hear at that moment, like you put your work in long enough and you'll get your day where like it's all out, you know, wide open fishing. You can't mess up if you tried. Yep. And then I watched Scarface uh, last week or two weeks ago. And I was like, I think he used that quote a little bit out of context, a little loosely, maybe (laughs) a little loosely, but even more so that. Basic idea of like, if it's your day and it's too soon, like, would you even appreciate it? I don't think so. You know, like, if I wouldn't, if if you went to a private, you know, private stretch of river where they stock it with, you know, 20, 25 inch rainbows and you have all day to fish it and you're the only one fishing. Like how long would you be fishing before you got bored and just be like, "Well, that's not what I'm here I, for."
1: Yeah, exactly. If it's yeah, when it's when it's too easy, when it's not when it's not earned, there's just not a lot of like value that resonates or echoes over over time.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? So, what do you find that does have meaning over time? Like, what is it that you seek to bring, as you're saying, the satisfaction into you? this outdoor experience
1: you know i think um that's probably the hardest question you could ask me you know because i I don't forecast a lot of of goals of what that satisfaction kind of looks like Mm -hmm. um i like to tell myself that proficiency at each of those stages you know i feel that satisfaction um there are certain things that i enjoy challenging myself for that that bring me some satisfaction like i'm at that point with with fly fishing where like when I know that I've caught a bunch of fish super close and like an easy to wade spot, right? Like I know those are done. I could stand there and probably do better. I'm at that point where I'm like, I think I want to wade to that super sketchy spot, you know, and I want to get over there because I know no one else is going to go do that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of where like that goal in my mind is, is like, yeah, like I've, you know, I've pounded all these, these quail fields, but I've never gone that extra mile over this mountain and down this like rocky outcrop. And I know no one else is going over there, mm-hmm. so I think that is kind of like the next the next goal is like maybe I'm going to push myself a little harder, a little further, and maybe taste a little more that that danger, even if it's for the same outcome. To mm-hmm. know that I could get to that, you know. So I don't know if that answers your your question necessarily because I don't necessarily have a goal in mind like for hunting. You know, like it would be cool to shoot a deer. That'd be that'd be great, you know. Um, but I don't hinge that as like the only reason my hunting career is, is successful, you know? Um, and so I don't, I don't, actually I don't really know how to answer that other than putting myself in, I guess, more uncomfortable or slightly dangerous circumstances, right? In pursuit of whatever that next thing would be. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like I said, with, with waiting, like I know what this bank feels like. I know what the, the riverbed's like. I know what the flows feel like. I know where that rock is and I know I can sit here safely and I know I can have success in this, this safe spot. But I think I like that challenge of like, all right, I've done this. I'm confident with it. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go over here where it's sketchier and see if I can replicate that success under like yeah. heavier flows or waist deep in a rapid or whatever it might be, or under this hanging you know tree branch. I'm going to see if I can, I know I can cast correctly, but can I cast around this obstruction now? Yeah. And yeah. if I can find success, that's awesome because that will come. But being in that environment sounds very appealing to me.
0: I actually love that because um, let's say, You know, even there's certain levels of fly fishing, and like the I feel like the one of the first levels in fly fishing is like you tie on a squirmy wormy. Yeah, and also my level fly fishing. Yeah, (laughs) but like you spend your whole life like going where you've always caught fish, using the same fly, using the same technique, using just like the only little bit of knowledge that you have, knowing that you're gonna catch four fish in two hours drive home eat dinner go to bed yep and that is awesome you know you're great you've you've mastered this one (laughs) hole right yep but then there's like the risk of being like would you risk moving to a different part of the river or a different river or um when I went on this fly fishing trip with my friend, like I'd never been to the river that we went on. Mm -hmm. And I have said this for a long time because I do really like exploring rivers. Yeah. But man, are they hard to fish? Super hard. You like go into the fly shop and you talk to everybody and you're like, what flies? Like, where do I go like this? And most of the time they're really nice and they'll give you like good advice or what you think is good advice. Right. You still fish it all day, and you're like, dude, I haven't caught anything. Right. <laughs> There's nothing. Like, I went to Colorado last year and I went and fished uh, Deckers, which is like right below. Yep. Uh, Legendary. What's it called? Cheeseman's Canyon? Chees- yeah, i heard of it. Yeah. And uh, really nice brown trout, like, really um, popular fly fishing spot. And I knew, like, The type of weather we were in, I knew like it. There's fish in that river, all this stuff, and I fished pretty hard, and I ended up hooking into what I think would have been a nice brown trout, but it got off. Mm -hmm. But that simple idea of being like, I'm in one of the world's best fly fishing rivers, and I'm getting skunked. (laughs)
1: Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like.
0: Why am I doing? Like I thought I was good at this,
1: <laughs> right? You know, I I think those those things are they're kind of two separate concepts, right? It's like yeah, like why am I in this environment where everything should be right? And I'm still not having success. Um, that's always a conundrum, right? Because there's always like s- specifics for for that fishery and why it's performing that day or why it's not or whatever it might be. Um, but I think you know, like going back, I, I like that that mystery and that bit of, of danger of going somewhere new. Mm-hmm. Um, that does pose maybe a little, little bit of that. Like, do you ever fish in the McCloud?
0: I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So McLeod is one of the sickest rivers ever also because it is pretty inaccessible, right? When you go yeah. deep with like Adena and ash and stuff like that, and you start walking back there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables, right? There's like rattlesnakes and there's heavier flows and big rocks and deep poison pits,
0: oak everywhere. Poison
1: oak everywhere. Right. <laughs> so there's a lot of variables and there's a lot of places on the McLeod where you can go, like you can literally walk up to the bank and if you kind of know roughly what you're doing, like you could probably hook a 20 inch brown fairly easily, but mm. there's also a lot of slots in that river. Where you're like, I'm gonna wade this, and I know, at least I think I know, that that water line is like right at the logo of my waders, and maybe another three inches, and I'm gonna be under, you know? Yeah. And saying, <laughs> I'm gonna go for it. You <laughs> just yeah. know? I'm definitely, I think, known as that guy, like in our fishing crew, who's like, ah, let's let's go a little further, let's push, you know, like grab guys and like drag them out. Um. But I think I I definitely enjoy that, like that mystery of like, Hey, maybe what's over there. Like, I know I have this fairly locked down. Yeah. I might not even like hook a fish over here, but I'm going to go see what this is all about. Right. While still at the same time, being conscious of like where I am in life at my age and family that relies on me, you know, like, I, I love the idea of like going out into the wilderness by myself, like with my rifle or shotgun and like pushing out 10 or 12 miles. But then I start thinking like, okay, well, if I fall and break my leg and I'm eight miles away and my Garmin doesn't work, like I'm letting a lot of people down. Yeah. And so trying to be conscious of of that, like mitigating those risks, but there is definitely a lot of allure for me in the unknown. And I think that's why I do enjoy these things like learning jujitsu or whatever the next thing that I dip into, right. Something else that's kind of uncomfortable um, is I do like that allure of the unknown.
0: Yeah. It's a predictability
1: of what I've always had success with.
0: We, uh, we went to the McLeod, one of my friends and I last year, and she has been multiple times with like the AC fly fishing guys yeah, and, uh, bucko, um, bucko Theriot, yeah. uh, Good quite thing. a few times. And, uh, so she kind of knows like a couple of the holes there on the McLeod and so we were fishing them and catching a couple fish, but I was like, all right, like, let's try like exploring and like working our way, like up the mm-hmm. river and like of course this is the way it happens like i slip on a rock yep that's like a pretty big boulder with a bunch of moss on it and so i'm sliding down the front of it and there's a tree limb that's like right at my shin height just, and just trips me yep. and i go head over heels like straight into the river like dunk every yep. part of my leaders <laughs> but that next hole that we found after that was like the fish of the trip for me yeah you know and it was because we were in a new spot that she hadn't fished that probably few people do yeah and it presented like its special project you know kind of like similar Mm -hmm. to rock climbing where you know where the fish is going to be right but it was a hard cast with a lot of fast moving water uh-huh. so I literally tied a pair to gone, probably on like a six foot tag from my first heavier fly Yep. just so that I could get it deep enough, fast enough. And it was literally like the first cast that I hit that hole that I had a fish. And right. I was like, like, I did, I did it, you know, right. yeah,
1: like this, this panned out, you know? So I guess what I want to know is like, would you, would it still be a value if you got there and did all that and didn't touch a fish?
0: Yeah. Like, would, you, would it still be valuable? I feel like I feel similar to you in, um, I'm willing to risk it yep. a lot and, yeah. um, learning different techniques, whether that's duck hunting or fly fishing or, um, one time I was on the Yuba, and I was fly fishing while I was like every, every spring I go up and visit my parents and I go Turkey hunt in the morning and then fly fishing in the evening. Mm -hmm. And, uh, dude, I tied on the smallest dry fly one that I've ever tied. It was like a size 18, like CDC fly. It wasn't even like had like a parachute on it. And just that risk of like, having a fly that you've made alone with it being that small on a river like that you know having one i had a fish rise to it and i was like how does it even see this like the the part of the body of that fly is like so much smaller than like a piece of lead from a pencil
1: (laughs) It's, it's invisible out there
0: That that kind of like makes all that risk worth it for me. Yep. And most of the time it's not anchored in success. You know, most of the time you move all your decoys to some ridiculous thing, or you put two two duck decoys out instead of a hundred, and you're like, we're gonna see if this works. But that one moment where like it finally works and you kind of like learn all this new stuff, Yep, makes it all worth it for me.
1: Well, I think what that lends itself to is what we've been talking about, about really diving in the building blocks, right? So you, so you tie on this little fly, right? That's 18, 20 inch, whatever. I've got this one little tiny BW, it's like a 22 loop wing. And it's like my prize BW. I've never, like John Baiocchi gave it to me past a few years back, like I covet this fly, uh, but it's super, super tiny. And same thing on the Yuba, right? There's a certain section on the Yuba where fish just rise, but they're super hard to catch. Like they are nearly impossible. Like mm-hmm. they rise all day, but they'll just reject everything. And it's a super far cast with a super tiny fly in the evening as the sun's setting. So you can't even see the water surface super well. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was putting the right bug and I had success and connected with a really, really good fish. But because I instinctively knew how to cast, how to mend and how to set that drift in the right way. And that the fish taking the fly was sort of like the the outcome of all the work i put in right um along the way it's like i didn't have to think about mending the right way because i was so built in from years and years and years of casting and mending and casting and mending. i it yeah. just kind of came naturally you know um i not even have to like see the take i just knew instinctively like when it happened how to set how to set a certain way with a super tiny fly then how to fight that fish you know down the river all the way um so we talk about doing that like moving deeks into an unfamiliar spot like you're not doing it out of ignorance. You're, you're taking the right decoys. You're facing the right direction. You know, mm-hmm. you know which direction the wind's coming. Um, you know the migration pattern. So it's like you're taking all that built-in knowledge because you spent all that time at the base level to learn it to set yourself up for that success in that moment if it does come. And it yeah. might come, it might not come. There's a good chance that, that it does come. But even if that success does come and you didn't put that work in at the start, you could never realize that success. Mm-hmm. You know, you could never hook that fish or or call that bird in.
0: One of the hardest things, and I think the Yuba is a good example of this, is, like, that water is so fast. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, to learn how to drift right on that river with a dry fly, especially a small dry fly, is so difficult. And it takes a lot of gumption, I want to say, like, a lot of courage to say, like, hey i'm gonna do this but the thing about that river from what it seems like is that is the only way to catch fish
1: it is yeah And you know, you know. <laughs> yuba for me is a, is a special place it's like our you know backyard river that i spent a ton of time that's where i learned where i still go all the time and um you know it's it it is interesting like a like a deceivingly tough river in a lot of ways because there's not a lot of fish in there You know, you talk to to guides and it's estimated there's like five to 700 trout per mile, I want to say, is what most of them say. And you go to like the green where it's 7,000 or 10,000. And so like not only is it like a tough river with a lot of like fast moving water and braiding and, and, you know, different sections, but then you pair that up with a super low population. Mm -hmm. Um, It probably, I mean, I think the Yuba is one of the best training grounds for like really difficult fly fishing there is. It's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable to walk, you know, like walking on those cobbles isn't fun you know it hurts um and yeah you slip and slide in there it's pretty fast moving some sections and so yeah if you can put all those pieces together in a really hostile environment it's pretty magical i think it's pretty amazing what what can happen like we talked about like within the cloud it's like it's a pretty hostile environment it's not easy to fish and so you can you know scurry down a cliff face bang your shit on a log and to get success in that environment means a lot
0: it sounds like you have personal experience of sliding down the cliff face oh
1: dude, i fall so <laughs> much man like i <laughs> i think i fall a lot because i put myself in those situations to fall a lot like put myself in deep water to wade across and so i you know swim quite a bit or same thing like you know on the cloud sliding down some of the like shale cliff sides um but yeah you know, yeah i put myself in those situations i think to to fail probably more than, more <laughs> than <I know. laughs> And definitely my age i'm feeling it more so now than ever
0: it's so good oh man okay so the last point that i wanted to talk about was the culmination i think of all this is the quest for perfection and uh kind of the art around that because to some degree we're, we're talking about romanticism we're talking about you know the journey is the goal not the trophy type stuff but like what does perfection look like for you
1: so perfection for me is probably going to be a broader a, a broader look at it um like perfection for me isn't like a 24 inch brown trout right perfection for me is having the stability in my life and the flexibility in my life to go when i want right uh, regardless of what the outcome is like mm-hmm. for me that's what i really crave more than anything else is having all the other factors in my life stable and locked down and, and kind of reliable um, to where I can go pursue whatever the outcome might be like where I can leave work in the morning to go try to rustle up some quail for two or three hours or, you know, take the day off to, to go fish a certain spot. Um, and so when I think about like what perfection is for me, perfection for me is the ability to have access, mm-hmm. you know, and that's probably what I aspire for more than any, any outcome. Yep. so it's probably you know, a bit of a letdown answer because I guess perfection for me isn't like knocking down a huge pool you know yeah it's having the ability to, to to go do that
0: it's like having the tools in your toolbox that you need when the time comes to be like yeah I can do that
1: yeah exactly yep
0: for me you, that's yeah where it's at you talked about um that with fly fishing and um, your experience it your experience on the little Tee a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm um and with fly fishing like the beautiful thing about it is like you spend all this time casting choosing flies reading water all this stuff and then you have these moments that are best described as perfect like you can't you can't make it up any better so I'll tee it up for you but uh do you have or I guess your story of the little tea makes me think of like what perfection means.
1: Yeah. I would definitely call that moment like a perfect moment. You know, we were fishing the little trucky years, years, years ago, and we'd been super successful all day. You know, we were catching fish. they were all great fish. It was, you know, it was killer, whatever it was fun. And, um, I think I was, I was telling you that there's this one section, which is definitely a harder to fish section of that river. It's a pretty easy river for the most part. But there's one section where it's a, a deeper slot against a bank with some fast moving water with a little tiny sliver of like slack water. And um, in that moment, it was just one of those moments where everything was right. You know, like casting was solid, fly selection was like dead on, the weather was perfect, like good friends around, feeling good, like everything was just, was was just on where it kind of it felt like it should be and i remember reach casting for this one little slot and it couldn't have been more than maybe like a foot of like slack water right mm-hmm. and setting the men and setting the drift and hooking up with this super solid fish that came out of the water once and spit the hook and it was a great fish and i lost it like it was it was one of the best fish i've probably ever tied into um and i remember in that moment when it came when it came free and. It, there wasn't even like that feeling of like, oh, I wish I'd landed that thing. I wish I'd like seen it or whatever closer and, and got it in the net. It was that I had, I, I guess sort of like the culmination of all those inputs. Like I talked about that little BWO on, on the Yuba. It's like, I set the cast correctly. I hit the men where it should have been. I was using the right fly. Everything was good around it. And to have all those things come together for that, that moment of like instant success right there was super, super satisfying. Even if, that fish never made it to the net. You know, I, I knew at that moment I had like maximized everything I had learned up until that point. And that felt really, really good. And I feel like that's what it will feel like someday in the future when I do take like some boil, right? Like when I do it mm-hmm. the right way and I've put the work in and learned the building blocks and approached it authentically. Because um, in that moment, I feel like I approached that fish really authentically. Yeah. You know? And even though it didn't make the net, that didn't really matter because I've caught bigger fish than that along the way that I don't even remember. But I remember this one because it was a challenge. It took everything I I needed and everything I'd learned to even get myself in that position for that success. Um, so that was definitely a perfect moment, you know, but it's great to know there's more of those on the horizon. That's not the last one that'll ever be.
0: Totally. I just love that idea though of maximizing your known experience to reach whatever moment yep. that was. And I think with all of these uh experiences it's like that it's like um last year my brother and i were out tuna fishing and uh we've more or less pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps to get into the offshore world like walking into the tackle shop being like so like can i buy like a rod that can like be a good bass fishing rod and tuna rod and Everybody's looking at you like you're an idiot. Like, if you, you know, we are just like so green. I love w- that walking into these tackle shops, like, just so excited to fish. But, like,
2: yep.
0: one, it's really expensive, but two, just like there's a lot of things that you need to know how to do each of these activities. And just because you're out on the ocean, catching a 20 pound yellowtail versus a 20 pound tuna is different. You know and even though they're the same size like they run different they need different line like all this stuff different hooks so like in this moment last year we ran out and i think i told this story but it's like a different lens of thinking of it but we ran out and the fish were like super close they were like right off of newport coast and i tied everything we like got the right lure um for the day start trolling and we probably trolled for like 10 minutes and then we got a bite and our line just starts like peeling off of the reel and i race down to s- set the drag and set it too much and it like pops the hook yep <laughs> and just like we reel it back in and the hook's like completely straight you know, we like just bent all the way. just so bent. And thinking of that, it's so easy to be upset and to be almost looking back with a sense of disappointment or frustration right. or all this stuff of like, Oh, like I'm such an idiot. Like, why did I do that? But then at the same moment, if you look at it like that, of, this is the first time we really ever hooked into anything trolling. You know, our second to get there. Like our second year of like tuna fishing at right. all. Yep. It's like you have to you have to think that that is as perfect as you can be yep. in that moment.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and maximize that time.
0: You will learn and you will have your day where something happens and finally Now I'll never touch the drag like that again. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I've learned my lesson. But I still have so many lessons to learn when I'm out doing new things. And all I have is time. Right. You know, hopefully I have years and years and years of being able to keep trying and to keep going after these things that I love. And I'm going to make mistakes just as much as I'm going to land great fish, you know, or bump a deer instead of shooting a deer. And it's like, man, if you did 99% right. And it's in that last moment that you decide not to shoot the Turkey instead of shoot the Turkey.
1: It sounds pretty successful to me.
0: Yeah. Right. You know? And so it's just framing our mindset. I think away from just living in, a dopamine obsessed world where Mm -hmm. like your validation only comes from like posting a photo online to going back and remembering why you're doing it in the first place
1: 100 man like the the journey absolutely is the destination in my mind for sure
0: well Greg, it's been so fun talking to you. I don't know if we can end it any better than that. I know, it's perfect, right? <laughs>
1: I appreciate it, man. That was super fun to chat. I love it.
0: So fun. I cannot wait to go fishing with you at yeah. some point. And uh, I've valued our conversations over Instagram for, I don't even know, like two years now. And right,
1: likewise,
0: um, we might even have to go to a Kings game together. Yeah. So
1: very, very down this is the year. Light the beam, <laughs> yeah. you know. Exactly. Light it up. <laughs> be on that right now Pierre. here awesome man i appreciate it
0: awesome greg thank you so much all right talk soon bye i'd proudly like to announce my first sponsor sagebrush wisdom is brought to you by winward westward a community of folks seeking deeper relationship with the natural world and richer conversations around the table. In addition to their gear, articles, and potluck dinner, this year they would like to introduce their first wild food subscription box. It is called the Wild Harvest Box, and it is a quarterly assortment of seasonal ingredients sourced straight from the wild and delivered to your home. Inside every wild harvest box will be things like bison meat from the Great Plains, wild picked berries, wild forage mushrooms, wild caught fish, and more. Use promo code sagebrush and get a three pound bison chuck roast added to your first order. To learn more about the Windward Westward community or to subscribe to get the best wild food delivered to your door, please visit windward.com dash westward dot com